Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, October the 5th, 2023. If America has a royal family, it's probably the Roosevelt's of New York State. Uh, we've done many shows on one kind of Roosevelt or another. We did one or several on Teddy Roosevelt, the first Roosevelt president. Did one uh, about his um, embrace of national parks. We, of course, have done a lot of shows on FDR, uh, one with Jonathan Darman on uh, the personal crisis that made him a president, his experience with polio that essentially disabled him, then another with Derek Liebart, my old friend. He has a new book out, Unlikely Heroes. We talked about Eleanor Roosevelt and many other Roosevelts, but we haven't done uh, a show on a woman called Alice Roosevelt Longworth, who earlier in the 20th century was perhaps the best known Roosevelt of all. She was the eldest daughter of Teddy Roosevelt, and she is the subject of a new book out this week by my guest, Shelley Fraser Mickle, White House Wild Child. Uh, Shelley is joining us from uh, Gainesville in Florida. Shelley, um, tell us about this woman, uh, Alice Roosevelt, what was so remarkable about her? Why was she so famous or perhaps infamous? <laughs> she was rather infamous. She actually captured the whole nation's imagination because she pushed the boundaries of the Victorian age. And uh, last week I had a journalist read it, the first person I think to read it all the way through to do a feature on it. And he called me up and he said, I really think you made a lot of this up because <laughs> he knows I've been on NPR and a novelist for many years. And I said, oh, heavens, no. When I started writing nonfiction, uh, the nonfiction police would come and get me if I had not documented every word, including every word of dialogue. So um, I don't know about you, but I have a policy of reading a lot of history now since I'm writing narrative history. And one of our greatest historians has said that we live with delusions until history changes us. So I, I, I think that's true. I've thought about it a lot and I practice it. I put a big history book on my bedside table. And if I die in the middle of the night, it'll make me look good. So my goal has to been to write a book that you could put on your bedside table, enjoy, and perhaps um, make it look that you've done a good job learning our American history. So Alice was only 17 when her father became president due to assassination of William McKinley. And soon as she arrived on the national scene, she became the most photographed woman in the world. Today, we could... Um, compare her to the first Princess Diana in terms of the influence she had. And also, I think I'm studying this new cultural phenomenon of Taylor Swift and how she is um, influencing young women to have great self-worth, not worry about criticism. And Alice was that, other than the fact that she was pathologically shy. And she did not speak in public, but she captured the nation's attention with her beauty and her antics. She decided to be 
conspicuous. And she did everything she could to do that. Um, uh, let me tell you a little bit about her antics. First of all, she was kind of like the first Gloria Steinem. When she went out on the street, uh, young women circled her and applauded because she was pushing all the boundaries. She um, carried in her purse a copy of the Constitution, a green snake named uh, Emily Spinach, and a dagger. And when she, when her father had the congressmen to a White House garden party, Alice would take Emily Spinach out of her purse and wear the little snake as jewelry. And she got great satisfaction and fun <laughs> out of uh, watching the congressman's eyes as the snake explored all the folds in her dress. So Alice pushed all the boundaries. And the result was, which really uh, impresses me, she couldn't vote until she was 36 years old. But after the 19th Amendment was passed, 26 million women voted in the 1920 presidential election. So in a nutshell, that kind of tells you a little bit about the influence that Alice had on pushing back of the boundaries. She um, was she um, was she involved in the movement to, to get a vote, women to vote? vote. Uh, not really. Uh, she was too self-absorbed and enjoying having fun. <laughs> but I mean, she, that's the issue, it seems to me. I mean, I mean, you obviously know a lot more about her than I do, but you compare her to Taylor Swift or uh, Diana Spencer. These were people who the public didn't know. I, I don't know about Taylor right. Swift, but certainly Diana Spencer. Uh, we did a show actually earlier today with uh, the, 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 the British writer Jonathan Coe about the way in which British people thought that they knew Diana, but of course they didn't. Did the American public know this woman or did they invent someone that they imagined they knew? Yes, she stood for independence and pushing the boundaries of the culture because she lived in a time, this is hard to realize, women's names were never allowed in the newspaper unless they were announcing their wedding or were already dead. And Alice could generate more newspaper print than her father as president, and she competed with him to see who could actually produce that amount of newsprint, and Alice always won. Uh, her blue eyes ignited a fashion craze, and everybody ran out to buy something Alice blue. Her, her picture was on the front of music, cigarette packages, you name it. People were obsessed with her, and yet they didn't know her. And part of my job, I felt as a narrative historian or trying my hand at that after writing novels for many years and being an NPR storyteller, was to unwrap the antics and discover the person underneath. And uh, the basic facts that uh, drove Alice was that when she was two days old, her mother died of Bright's disease, kidney disease. And she died in Teddy Roosevelt's arms, who loved her inexplicably. You can't measure. He was young and infatuated, and he loved hard and deep, which is dangerous. And to make it worse, his mother died on the same day. So he was so captured by grief that he 
when he held little Alice for her baptism after they had just held two funerals, uh, he could not say Alice's name nor look her in the eye. And she interpreted his silence as disapproval. And that started the whole cycle of um, her antics to get his attention and also get back at him. It was very passive aggressive. And as I stay in my um, note to readers on the first page, I trained uh, many years ago as a psychiatric social worker. And I worked on a hospital ward at Vanderbilt Hospital with um, a mostly disturbed children. And I went to staff meetings. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to explore how Alice's dealt with her father's grief and what effect that had on her as a young woman, because no one ever spoke of her mother. Only her aunt did a little bit. And I'll get to the story of Bammy Roosevelt because she's been left out of history. And one of the most exciting things in writing this book is I get to bring Bammy, who was the first Eleanor Roosevelt. They nicknamed her Bammy, which means uh, Bambino. Uh, but she evaporated from history. Um, I guess I could go ahead and tell her story now. Well, uh, we are talking with Shelley Fraser Mickle, the author of White House, Wild Child, a biography of Alice Roosevelt. Quite a character, as she said. She's rather like a early 20th century version of Taylor Swift or Diana Spencer. Um, it sounds to me from what you've been saying so far, um, uh, Shelley, you haven't endeared this woman to me. She sounds indulgent, spoiled, and very annoying. What, what, is, what is attractive about her? Well, she was fun. She was a lot of fun, and she did all those things in her childhood or when she was young. Basically, if you pull off the wraps, she was unlikable. But what captured me was I love stories about when someone changes in an enormous way. I like to call it enormous changes at the last minute. And Alice did. Um, let me first tell you how she transformed her antics as a young woman into being the first Twitter feed, um, which made her a lot of fun in midlife and a little bit when she was older. She, um, all the presidential candidates would go to her. She had a four-story house on DuPont Circle in Washington, and they would go to her for her blessing, hoping she would not skewer them in the newspapers. But she couldn't help it. She's most known, well, those two great sayings that uh, Roosevelt said, I could either run the country or control Alice, but not both. And then she came up with this other great saying about her. If you don't, if you can't say anything nice about anyone, come sit beside me. And most Americans today kind of know those two sayings. But what she did was uh, entertain the whole nation with comments about people. She called um, Calvin Coolidge that he'd been weaned on a pickle. He looked like he'd been weaned on a pickle. And she said Thomas Dewey was like the little man on the wedding cake. but And he could never overcome that. It mostly um, destroyed his political career. So, so she was she, a little bit, uh, she had a little bit of the Donald Trump in her. It sounds as if she enjoyed ruining people's yeah. reputations. She did. She thought it was great fun. But I can tell you but what changed her 
Um, I don't want to tell too much because I really want everybody to read this book and experience the layers that make, make up Alice. But when she was 73, um, her daughter died of a drug overdose. And she took her granddaughter and raised her with the love and sacrifice that she never had. And so she became a very loving grandmother to the fact that she said, I should never have been a mother. I should have always been a grandmother. So she was a bad mother. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, the more you talk about her, um, uh, Shelley, the, the less attractive she becomes. Did you have to hold your nose while you wrote this book? I had to look for the good parts and I waited for that moment when she would change. But she was so wound up in having fun and the adoration. And uh, early on, I found this uh, part in the research that made a lot of sense to me because after um, Edith, TR's second wife, you know, they had six children and uh, Alice was the stepchild. She never far felt a part of that family. She felt like something was wrong with her and no one talked about her mother. So uh, when Edith had one of the children, everybody came to Sagamore Hill to ooh and ah over the baby. And when they were doing that, Alice stood up in the middle of the group and made this announcement. I think she was about seven years old. And she said, when, when I grow up, I'm going to give birth to a monkey. So I thought that was kind of her first uh, exploration of passive aggressive behavior. She could get back at everybody and become the center of attention by saying some outrageous. And she got caught in that cycle. And since everybody loved her antics, she got that positive regard. But um, when I wrote the how I came upon this story was when I decided to write nonfiction, because basically, Andrew, to publish a novel today, you have to be cool. And if I was ever cool, it's rubbed off. So I decided to transfer my writing skill and my desire to write another book into nonfiction. So I'm married to a brain surgeon. and I asked him for suggestions what I could write about. And he trained under Joe Murray, who won the, uh, was awarded the Nobel Prize for performing the first kidney transplant. And he said, you know, that story about Joe doing that kidney work would make a really good story. So when I found his children and got permission to do that, um, I did that. And so that allowed me to be invited to be in a group called Biographers International. And when I finished the Alice book uh, and my editor was ready to put it together and edit it, I contacted Jonathan Alter. You may, may know him. He's the biographer of Jimmy Carter. And it's very active in our current political culture. And I asked him if he would in, uh, consider doing a jacket blurb. And he said, well, send it to me when it's in galley form and I'll consider it. So when I sent it to him, he liked it. He gave it a great endorsement. And then he said, I've always wanted to know about Alice. And I had tea with her granddaughter uh, about 10 or 15 years ago. And he said, did you know there is a play in New York about Eleanor and Alice. And I did. Yeah, I want to get on to Eleanor and Alice. We're going to take a break now. We are talking with um, Shelley Fraser Mickle, the author of Wild White House, Wild Child, and a biography of Alice Roosevelt, the eldest daughter of Teddy Roosevelt. 
remind everyone that um, this show is sponsored by Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics. We're going to run a short ad for Liberties, and then we'll be back with uh, Shelley. I want to talk about the politics, and I want to particularly compare uh, Eleanor Roosevelt and Alice, because I think there's an interesting contrast. We'll be back in a second. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We are talking uh, with um, Alice, um, not Alice Roosevelt, I wish we were, with Shelley Fraser-Mickle, the author of White House Wild Child, the biography of Alice Roosevelt. Before the break, uh, Shelley brought up a comparison with uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, of course, the wife of FDR, how were they related, uh, Shelley? What was exactly their... They were both on the uh, uh, the Teddy side of the, the Roosevelt family. Uh, what, what was their relationship? Well, Eleanor was Teddy Roosevelt's niece because Eleanor's father was Elliot Roosevelt, who was right. Teddy's brother, and he died of alcoholism. <laughs> he actually became insane, and it's a... It's the saddest, most devastating story. Edith, te- Teddy's wife, would not really let Alice play with Eleanor. And they didn't become, spend much time so what together. Was there, uh, so just to be clear, um, was, was Alice a first cousin? Yes. So they were yeah. first cousins. And of course, their historical legacies are dramatically different. As you say, Right. Uh, this rather frivolous woman, Alice Roosevelt, might be thought of as the Diana Spencer or Taylor Swift of of of, um, of the early part of the century. Eleanor Roosevelt is a remarkable woman, a woman of an enormous achievement. Uh, was uh, did Alice always feel second rate compared to Eleanor? Uh, well, actually, she made fun of her goodness because her father admired. Well, that's Eleanor. not very amusing, is it? No. Um, there's something there's something very troubling about this woman. She seems to make fun of everything and everyone except perhaps herself. Yes, and she started making fun of herself. The key to her was when she was 73 and realized she had been a terrible mother. Uh, she married the Speaker of the House. He played around on her and she played around on him. She had a child with Senator William Burra from Idaho, and he was kind of considered the lion of the Senate and may have been a presidential candidate. And she had this child with him, which was not out in the open during her life, but it is now. And that child is the one who died of a drug overdose. And that is what woke Alice up. And yes, she was frivolous and her Father called her frivolous. Her uh, her grandfather did. They worried about her. She was addicted to money and spending money. But what saves her, in my view, and makes her really interesting, is her transformative change 
when she was 73. And I come from the land of Faulkner, the Mississippi Delta, and he always told us, and I studied his writing and what he teaches us about writing, and he said, don't write about the nuclear age if you're a writer. You write about the heart in conflict with itself. And Alice certainly became that. She wanted to be different when she was 73. She lived to 96. So, so is, she, is your argument that at 73, she she was a bad mother, she became a better grandmother? Is that a... You know, her politics are so troubling, uh, Shelley. You don't need me to remind you of that. She said uh, in 1940, when um, FDR was running uh, to become president again, a very serious time, she said that she'd rather vote for Hitler than vote for FDR a third term. This is such an absurdly childish and stupid thing oh, to yeah. say. Uh, right. I mean, how could this woman be taken seriously by anyone? To, uh, having said something so uh, absurd. I agree, but she was taken seriously because the people fell in love with her. Even and in 1940, were, when she said she'd rather vote for Hitler, America wasn't at war, but by this time, Britain and uh, Hitler had invaded France and Poland. Right. Um, I mean, this is a very serious time. This woman must have been completely out of sync. Was she sympathetic yes. to the American isolationists? I know she's been, she, she's very much attached with right-wing uh, republicanism. What was her association with people like Lindbergh in the 1930s? Well, she became more right-wing as she got older. And I didn't write a book about her whole life. It's mainly about her childhood and how she became who she was and lean to the right because she liked to be obstinate. She always made fun of uh, Eleanor for being good. And but she, is that, I mean, is that, that's fine if you're four years old, but. Right. She in, never in the, grew in, up. in the great depression when millions, tens of millions of Americans were starving. Is there anything amusing about that? It just seems to be no. ridiculously no. childish. No. And she was hard for me to like, I had to work hard. What about on the, uh, you mentioned that you're from the South. She, of course, was all too familiar with the, the, the issue of race in America. Did she have any no. strong feelings on the Civil no. War or, or race and racism in America? No. She was only intent on having fun and being the center of attention. So I see it as a cautionary tale about the effects of a father on a daughter. And we talk a lot about fathers and sons, but we've not really had a really good conversation about the effect of a father on a daughter and how father's attention and love, unconditional love for a daughter is what makes them strong. And I think that's mm -hmm. part of a problem in our culture today. We have a lot of absent fathers. We have a lot of fathers who don't know how to uh, connect emotionally and they make daughters feel uh, not worthy and they make poor choices. In uh, are you suggesting then that her irresponsibility, her childishness, her lack of any conscience when it comes to politics, comparing saying that she'd rather vote for Hitler than FDR, that that can all be blamed on Teddy Roosevelt because he experienced this tragedy of losing his wife and his mother on the same day? Uh, somewhat because she never felt uncondi unconditional love. 
She never had For many people, Shelley, have never experienced unconditional love. It doesn't result in a life of irresponsibility. I agree, but she had wealth. She had beauty. She had upper-class background. And we never know how that's going to affect a particular person. Um, but the obsession, uh, one of the things that really gets my goat because my editor had to pull me back because I studied so much about Teddy Roosevelt and made the book. We cut a hundred pages out, but this um, similarity today of people wanting to compa compare Teddy to Trump is just sickening to me because people do not understand what a good president is. And part of this book. Well, uh, who, compare, who compares Teddy Roosevelt and Trump? A lot of people. Who? Well, I'm going to, I don't know individual names, but I'm on. I haven't heard of that. I, I do a lot of shows and we have lots of comparisons of Trump and this and that, Mussolini. But I, I've never heard of a comparison between Trump and Teddy Roosevelt. Well, I belong to a group on Facebook called Theodore Roosevelt and the number of people on there who do because they confuse his speech making, which was very fiery. Uh, T.R. was a moralist. He didn't consider himself much of a party man. He called himself a moralist. And um, he called politics the bear pit. And he practiced politics as an art. And he was a, he was a genius. I don't know if you are aware that he grew up reading as many as three books a, a day. And no, he was he, an impressive. So, so let's get back to, uh, Alice. to, to Alice. It yeah. seems to me as if she's very much a, a product of, or not a product, but a, a reflection of the 20s. I mean, she would have, she, she could have been an invention of, uh, of, of Fitzgerald. She would have fitted right. very well into the, uh, the party scene after the First World right. War. Is that fair? I mean, she, it yes. must have been her best decade, the 1920s. Yes, and she uh, campaigned against the um, uh, Woodrow's, uh, Wilson's, uh, what did we call that? The premier of the precursor of the uh, UN. League um, of Nations. Yeah, the League of Nations. She sat in the gallery of the Congress and campaigned against that. She was uh, difficult. There's no doubt about it. She is very hard to like. And the thing that I dislike most about her, and this is a little bit personal, is she said that um, FDR's New Deal was uh, affecting the, was giving the nation a case of polio. You know, she would make fun of, she would find the weakest spot and stick a knife in it and twist it. And of course, it was polio that her cousin, I don't know if it was his a distant cousin FDR had, which put him in a wheelchair. Yeah, and I know a lot about that because I'm a polio survivor of 1950. Well, did she have any conscience after the the collapse of the boom of the 20s and suddenly 20, 30 no. percent of Americans were unemployed? There was no social security net. Did she have any conscience, any feeling of the no. suffering around? Not that I saw. Uh, she was too absorbed with her own feelings of uh, being left out of the family and ne never really getting her father's attention. Um, well, he, was that, dead. he was long dead by then, so it was hard to get his attention. Well, what was the attitude towards her within the conventional Republican Party? What did Herbert Hoover and Coolidge uh, think of her? 
Well, she um, married the Speaker of the House. She had a certain amount of power with him. But again, she was deflected by the fact that he was a very sick alcoholic and a philanderer. Um, when he died of alcoholism, this says a lot about Alice never really growing up, uh, getting past anything. She put his dead body on a train and she and two of his mistresses took it to Cincinnati for burial. Um, Alice survived uh, doing what she did best, which was to gain attention and do outrageous things. And yet all the time she was pathologically shy and would never speak in public. She had this amazing physical beauty and she used that for everything. But after she had her transformation at 73, uh, she still had great quips. She had a double mastectomy when she was 80. And she said, I'm the only woman going topless in Washington. She was always had a quip and she drove uh, LBJ crazy making fun of him. But he adored her. Everybody adored her because she was so much fun. She went to every party she possibly could. And at the end of her life, when they asked her how she would have lived her life differently, she said, I would have aimed for the Oval Office rather than to be the first daughter. So she grew into thinking about using her power. And she was an advisor to Ted Jr. Roosevelt, who wanted to be president. But from my research, Alice had no vision. And I'm very big on a president having vision like Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt. They knew where America could go. And um, Teddy Roosevelt was the first to fulfill Lincoln's prophecy to make America the strongest nation on earth. You know, his last act was to send the Navy around the world to prove that we had that strong Navy. And until then, Britain ruled the world by their Navy. Your, so, the subtitle of your book is How Alice Roosevelt Broke All the Rules and Won the Heart of America. I can see her winning the heart as a younger woman, but did America tire of her once she got older? I think somewhat, yes. But there was always the fascination. I have friends who said that their grandmothers always talked about her. They just mm. loved the fact she could break the rules. And when well, women... Well, uh, who would you compare... With you, you've compared her with Taylor Swift and, and uh, the, the Spencer woman, uh, Diana Spencer. Diana, in um, terms of but, influence. But, uh, what about American political figures? One who comes to mind is Nancy Reagan or Phyllis Shafley. Was she, what was her attitude to the, the anti-feminism of somebody like Shafley? I think she was a little bit like her except she made fun of her father um, wanting every woman in America to have four children to populate the country. And um, she um, basically became very conservative as she got older. But um, there, you're, you're right. You're on the right <laughs> angle because she was hard to like. She was very hard to like. It was the opposite of Eleanor. Um, oh, yes, she, because she um, make fun of some of oh, uh, yes. Eleanor's quirks, her closeness with her female friends that she suggests. She became famous for having uh, imitation of Eleanor with her buck teeth. And she did it. You know, she had a very famous salon in Washington.
and dinner parties. And she made fun of Eleanor and uh, it was outrageous. It was very unkind. She never knew how unkind she was. And it broke her daughter. I'm not surprised. You keep on using this word fun. There doesn't seem to be a lot of fun about this woman. I mean, it's uh, you. She she's took. She, she she seems to be someone who's taken all the fun out of fun. Well, she was a great conversationalist, and you know who loved her best was Bobby Kennedy. Every party where they were together, he just made a beeline for her because they made one quip after the other. And she always teased him about what her father had said about Irish politicians, that they were low, um, ignorant brutes. And he would laugh. He just thought she was great. And I he, don't suppose uh, uh, this is JFK or Bobby. No, his brother, Robert. So he was amused by her? Oh, yes. They were great friends. And um, she, she and Eleanor both had newspaper columns at one point and uh eleanor's called my day was very entertaining and lovely because eleanor was is a lovely human being and alice's became all about legislation it was very dry mm. and she i mean it talk- sounds to me you've written this book this biography of this woman you've finally uh shelly you've made an effort to like her but you haven't really even convinced yourself you've come up with a narrative that she transformed herself in her 70s and became a decent grandmother which i guess is better than nothing but it's still not that convincing i mean she was a pretty rotten person wasn't she no you need to read the book because i created a lot of empathy for her searching for her mother through her haunted childhood and when you pare it down and see the layers of pain that she went through from a psychologist's viewpoint, you create a lot of empathy and understanding for this woman. So for me, it makes fathers and mothers that read this book know how to do a better job because they see these mistakes, how she was left out and the effect, psychological effect. I worked really hard on having layers of understanding for the reader. So they would have an experience of going through what this woman went through. Uh, Of course, it was in the Victorian age, but um, I'm hoping that everyone will read it for not only that reason, but also to see how a exemplary president does things. Uh, Because Teddy Roosevelt is considered our fifth greatest president. You know, his image is on Mount Rushmore. And uh, one of the biggest things he did, which was interesting to me, is he was awarded, the, he was the first president to be awarded the Nobel Prize of Peace, Peace Prize. And it happened because there are so many correlations of what's happening today with what Teddy had to deal with. For instance, Russia sent troops into Manchuria, which started the war between Russia and Japan. And Teddy wanted to end that because he's one of the few presidents that understood the balance of power. And when he renovated the White House, not many people know that he's the one that named the White House. Up until then, it was the executive mansion. He started calling it the White House. And when they renovated it, he moved a globe into his office that was as big as a Volkswagen because he, and he aimed it where America would face him 
because he understood there was a need for balance of power. So he sent Alice on an Asian tour. He sent her to Hawaii, Japan, China, Russia. And guess she was his nuclear said? weapon, wasn't she? I bet they they got if you if if you didn't like someone, you would send uh, Alice Roosevelt there. No, that's not my point, Andrew. He yeah. knew that he he could. Uh, use we can probably blame her for the Second World War too, right? Once the no. Jap- once the Japanese met Alice, they probably decided to bomb. <laughs> no, Pearl that's Harbor, not the no. way it went. His his her father used her as a decoy because Ooh. he sent Taft the um, officials in those countries to ask what they wanted in a treaty. And he sent Alice to as a decoy for the press and all of her antics. The first thing she did when she got on the ship in San Francisco named the Manchurian was jump in the canvas swimming pool that they had set up on the deck. He was the original Manchurian candidate, I think, Shelley. Wasn't <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you're going places that we don't need to go. <laughs> so anyway, 